there's there's plenty to dissect. There's plenty to say that's wrong with it. Um, but I would say that a lot of the reviews that I'm reading are a little ho- are a little harsh. I was not bored by this movie. Um, a lot of the reviews that I'm reading are it was it was boring. You know, it's it's a two hour fight scene. That's not correct either. Um, the fight scene is at, the, the whole battle of five armies. I think they clocked in at about forty minutes. I actually could have used which, more of it. Well, you know, I'm just wondering how long the Battle of Pelennor Fields was from Return of the King. Because if you want to talk about a fight scene that goes on forever, yeah, I mean, not that the Battle of Pelennor Fields was not good, but when you consider, the, you know, the the losing and the and the trying to regain uh, regaining of um, Minas Tirith, and then the Battle of Pelennor Fields, and then finally the last charge of Mordor. I mean, Jesus Christ! That that you know, the two thirds of that movie is spent fighting. So for people to bitch about the Battle of Five Armies being forty minutes of fighting and that being too long, I think it's a bit misplaced. I would tell you that if I had to sum this movie review up in one sentence, it was a love letter to Tolkien, his works of literature, the fans, and the franchise. It was it was it was the last goodbye, and that's how I took it. And uh, as a side note, I think a lot of reviewers are kind of are too full of themselves. You know, they they are Prius drivers who think their their farts don't stink. Uh, to 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 harken back to a South Park reference, uh, because I was sitting next to a girl who uh, who was there at the uh, marathon. I didn't know her, and she and throughout the movie. As the as our hero started to die off one by one, she went into hysterics. I mean, if movies are to make you feel something, you know that is the measure of a good movie. No movie is perfect, or at least very few of them are. But it, you know, but if the measure of a good movie is one that makes you feel something, I I can tell you that many in the theater, yeah, were felt the tragedy of the fallen heroes. You know the triumph of Bilbo, and were and were brought to bear by by the end of it. And if this girl is is any measure of the rest of the fans out there, I mean, like I said, she was she was brought to hysterics with every death. She was inconsolable by the end of the movie. And I know that I've sat that I like when when Lord of the Rings was over. You know, there was a part of me that was that wanted it to go on, and I will tell you that I'm satisfied now. After six movies. You know, and in this last one, uh, and, I'll, and I'll throw it back to you, Robert. After this, the best thing I can say about the Battle of Five Armies is it was a great way to say goodbye to the franchise. I don't need to see any more Tolkien movies. I'm with you, and that's not just because I'm not a fan of Tolkien. I'm not, by the way, but uh, by and large, now this was a great. I mean, the supreme irony there being that he ends this movie setting up Fellowship of the Ring in terms of pure chronology, because that's what it's supposed to do. But the fact that I kind of walked out of this movie like you, I, with a sense of you know fulfillment, completion, closure, whatever you want to call it, despite the fact—I I mean, again, despite the fact that narratively speaking, they're setting up—they, I mean, they end this with like the first few lines of dialogue from Gandalf and Bilbo in uh, Fellowship of the Ring, and I still felt like no, that you know we're, we're okay. This is it. This is gone. It's a very kind of bittersweet sensation. But at the same time, it's again, it's done. You know, I mean, 
I don't think there will ever be any more Tolkien movies. I mean, not, certainly not if that eh, jag-waist Christopher Tolkien has anything to say about it. But that's a completely different topic. No, I, I felt there was you know, that this was completely you know closed. That it was a really nice send off for the whole kind of cinematic world of Middle Earth. That will again, I don't imagine we'll get any more Tolkien movies for another. I imagine they'll remake like Lord of the Rings in thirty or forty years, probably. But we're not getting anything new. Uh, none of the other prop, none of the other intellectual properties have been sold. Uh, the rights to make movies out of them. And again, the Tolkien estate is kind of headlined by a guy who is just so severely anti his father's work being turned into films that, yeah, th this was it. This is kind of our, there's a reason they've been promoting this with the one last timeline, because it really is. I mean, I have no, I don't think we're going to see any other, again, Middle Earth movies for you know, decades. If we get them at all, and I'm not saying we need them, mind you, but you know, again, decades at the very least would be my guess. Unless they decide to reboot the franchise and we get the whole thing remade all over again, which would be a monumental failure. But hey, it's Hollywood. What are you going to do? You got to throw out these no, no, stupid like, caveats. Gonna, please don't put that out in the universe. We're good. <laughs> Peter, hey, I don't want Peter it. Just, I just said it would be a monumental failure. Yeah, no, but once you put it out into the universe. There's some, we all know that there are executives listening to this podcast and interns listening to this podcast, and someone's going to say, hey, retain the rights to Tolkien because we're going to want to remake this in a few years. I said decades, not years. They're not listening that closely. Come on, let's get on with this. Uh, all right. Well, okay, let me ask you this then to move on to my next point because I have issues with this, but I want to talk about the good things first. I don't know what it was about. Maybe I had to watch all three of these in sequence. Maybe it was just finally written properly. But is it just me, or is Martin or is uh, Martin Freeman a darn good actor? Yeah, he, I mean, um, his portrayal of Bilbo over the course of three movies, I thought, was really spot on. Because you know, I, I think back to an unexpected journey, and you know, and he's playing him like. Um, you know, oh, fuck. What's the actor's name? Uh, um, not Hugh Jackman. The, the 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 British actor is in a lot of romantic comedies. Uh, got caught with a hooker, I think. No, there's a few of those. I believe you're referencing Hugh Grant. That's the one. Yeah, he's kind of playing him as Hugh Grant in the beginning, and he's fainting, and he's hemming and hawing, and you know, and he you know he can't quite get the words out. I remember being very impatient with with his portrayal of Bilbo at the, at the start of it. It was like, well, you just get on with it. And by the end, he's so sure of himself. You know, I'm not afraid of Thorin, and I'm not asking permission and all this other stuff. You know, I mean, this is Thorin's movie. Was yeah. One of the criticisms of the Battle of Five Armies is not enough Bilbo, and this is supposed to be his tale, which I think is a misunderstanding of the book. Because oh, yeah. Yes. Because, yes, it's Bilbo's tale, but the Battle of Five Armies is Thorin's story. And this was Thorin's movie. If people don't, if you haven't read the, the, the Hobbit or if you haven't seen the uh, Bass and Rankin cartoon, uh, Bilbo pretty much sits out the Battle of Five Armies. He doesn't know why they're fighting. He doesn't get it. And he's just like, and he's knocked it. unconscious. 
Yeah, he's like rendered unconscious three minutes into the battle, and he wakes up after it's done. Yeah, well, I think at one point he's just got the ring on. He's just staying out of it. Um, so you know, so like I said, this this was really Thorin's tale of redemption, of loss and then redemption. Um, but yeah, I mean, I, I like Martin Martin Freeman's portrayal of Bilbo. I you know, and in the story, and, and the. Uh, the arc he takes, I thought, was very, very well done. I really thought a lot, a lot of the acting in this movie was, was spot on. I know, you know, I know everyone likes to likes to bag on, as she's called, Kate from Lost, but I thought, you know, Evangeline Lilly's portrayal of an imaginary character, uh, Toriel, was was fine. You know, I, I, I mean, we'll get to it, but I, I thought she did a fine job with what she was given. Um, I really didn't have a problem with anyone's performance. No, all the acting in this movie was universally, I mean, great. This was, I forget whose review of it I read who mentioned that, you know, after seeing this, you can tell why some of these actors who have been given other projects uh, prior to this movie's release were given them kind of on the strength of their reputation from what they did here. Uh, Lee Pace. uh, That was Jeremy Thomas, wasn't it? Or Terry Lewis? Yeah, I don't know. The guy on 411 Mania. But no, I mean, Lee Pace, who is kind of a one-note villain in, uh, he plays Ronan the Accuser in Guardians of the Galaxy, has a bunch of range here. I mean, again, the character of uh, Thanduril is not, I mean, there's motion and emotion there, but there's not, he has to do it very subtly because of the way that, you know, an immortal forest elf is is kind of by nature. Uh, Luke Evans who has had a couple of different movies uh, kind of come out since then. He was, uh, most notably, uh, he played Dracula in Dracula Untold, but he comes across very, very well in this one. Uh, I agree with you about um, Evangeline Lilly. I don't think her character is necessary or contributes a whole lot, but her acting is fine. I mean, the acting is, again, universally good here. I just, I don't know what it was about this time around with Martin Freeman, but the way he just kind of portrays Bilbo, especially that you know, the final kind of ends when he's uh, with a dying Thorin, and then as he's leaving the dwarves, and then as he gets back to his home at Bag End, just kind of the the subtle and very real ways that he reacts to everything that's going on there. It was, I mean, I, I'm surprised that I never noticed it before. I mean, maybe he's just that good that what he does is. Again, just subtle enough that he slides under the radar, but he's really superb. Or he shares too much screen time with Benedict Cumberbatch, who everyone's watching instead. I mean, there's always that possibility. Can, I, can we just say Benedict Cumberbatch is in fucking everything now? There's always like that eh. one actor who, who, who like, he, every time you turn around, he's in every picture. And right now, Benedict Cumberbatch, I mean, he's been cast as Doctor Strange. He's Schmaug. He was the necromancer. He's he's uh he's classified in the Penguins of Madagascar. He's everywhere. Yeah, he's doing some work right now, and I'm fine. He's talented. I'm okay with it. But yeah, yeah at the sure. moment he's kind of in everything. Okay, uh, the other guy I wanted to single out, and we haven't mentioned him yet, but uh, Richard Armitage, who plays Thorin, him as crazy, greedy, paranoid. Thorin Oakenshield was kind of a highlight for me when he was in that, when that character was that particular way. Uh, just watching him kind of be that 
you know, crazy and afflicted with, uh, you know, the dragon sickness or whatever they chose to call it. Very Hamlet, wasn't it? Yeah. Yeah, very. It's just not a bad thing. Yeah. He, uh, he, he definitely captured that sort of Shakespearean spirit uh, of, of paranoia, you know, of power gone mad and paranoia and all of that. Um, without as mad as he got and, you know, and, and as a bastard as he became, you still, you, you were still rooting for him. You know, he never becomes villainous as such. He, no. he, he retains an element of sympathy where you're, you're saying, please Thorin, come back to us, you know? And then I think that's where the, his performance was so successful because that could have easily, he could have easily turned into Maleficent, you know. Yeah, very. <laughs> and easily. he doesn't. He doesn't. He doesn't become all twisty, mustachy about it. He's he's just crazy, and you and he's sick, and you want him to come back and be the hero. And so when he finally does, and you know, and they charge, you know, and he joins Dane Ironfoot and, they, and charges the orcs and decides, you know, they have to cut the head off the snake, so he goes after Azog. You know, you cheer. It's it's an it's an awesome cinematic bit where you know he leads the he leads the charge of the dwarves of Erebor, and you know it it's it's because he never loses that sense of uh, of heroism inside. You know, Richard Armitage was very very careful not to play him as a villain as such, but as a very sick man. Yeah, there's a distinct difference there and if you get it wrong yeah, the whole thing is lost the tone kind of goes out the window when you stop caring about Thorin as far as this goes because like you mentioned most of the Hobbit is actually Thorin's story Bilbo's just along for the ride and we get it from his perspective uh, especially yeah. this particular movie before we um, before we went live tonight you and I kind of were, were just sort of getting to our notes together and I said that the Battle of Five Armies is Thorin's movie you know the reviews that oh Bilbo there wasn't enough Bilbo in it. Well, there wasn't enough. There was Bilbo isn't in a lot of that a lot of that battle to begin with. Um, that's Thorin's story, and it's it's his tale to tell of you know the the, the madness and then the the, re, the recovery and the redemption, you know, and dying at Bilbo's feet. Spoiler alert. <laughs> <laughs> the book dying came out. Like seventy years ago, people. <laughs> it's very reminiscent of um, Boromir. You know, Boromir it, it succumbs to the madness of the Ring, and he retains his dignity and honor by going down fighting, trying to save Merry and Pippin. And you know, Thorin is Thorin is the same. You know, he he redeems himself. He joins in the fight. He takes down Azog. And you know, and he and he dies doing it. And by the end, you know, he tells Bilbo, you know, he did the right thing, and they, and, you know, and they are they make amends. And and you really see, you know, Bilbo loves Thorin. He doesn't want him to go, and 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 it's sad. And as I said at the top of the review, the the girl next to me w couldn't keep it together, just bawling. Like, you know, like I don't know if she's ever lost a relative and cried that much. <laughs> Now, there were people in the theater where I was that I wouldn't say went into hysterics, but there were clearly strong emotional reactions, and I got the distinct impression at least three of them were not aware that Thorin was going to die. 
I would ca- tell you that no one knew. Okay, spoiler alert. No one knew the entire line of Durin was going to get wiped out. You know, yeah. uh, the Mark of Azog, he actually kept his word. Yeah, yeah. yeah he swore oh, that. No. He swore the oath to wipe out the line of Durin, and he succeeded. And you did it. Um, yeah, I, I don't think people realize that. You know, I don't think people read the books. I, you know, and you don't necessarily see that a lot. You know, this is where this is where the rebels are supposed to triumph over the empire. This is where you know this is where the forces of uh, of men and elves and dwarves are supposed to conquer uh, the forces of evil at Mordor. You know, we're, we're supposed to get a happy ending here. Nope. <laughs> this is, Not really. It's, it's, a, it's a tragic Shakespearean ending where your your three heroes fucking buy it in gruesome ways. I mean, not not about Storm, but Keely and Keely. Oi. Yeah, that was uh, that was a rough way for them to go. <laughs> Especially Keely. It's like let's stab you in the back and toss you from a cliff. Yeah. Yeah, especially since running you through doesn't necessarily kill you right away. I mean, you'll bleed out pretty quickly if the aorta is severed. And you may not feel anything from uh, below the shattered vertebrae, but you're unlikely to actually die before you hit the ground. No, apparently so the only one who can sensation. fall from great heights and land on her back is, is our elves. And still, yeah. and still live. But I, but I digress. Um, you know, we got a, we got about 38 minutes left, and there's there's still a lot of wrong with this movie. Yeah, there is. First of all, I don't. Maybe this is just me. So anyone else out there can disagree with me. Don't try and convince me that Legolas is Kratos. I just don't buy it. Look, Orlando Bloom's fine. The character of Legolas has been established is pretty awesome. I just feel they spent way too much screen time on him fighting within this battle and him doing, you know, impossible LV things. Like, oh, how will he get out of this now? Oh look, he's an elf. He can clearly run up things that are falling, despite gravity not working that way. Much like our Transformers review, let me let me give you an argument as to why Tariel and Legolas were necessary. Beyond the obvious, there are no broads in the Lord of the Rings, so they needed a broad in there because it's 2014 and you know women. So let, let, I don't even want to. I don't even need to entertain the stupid argument. They're right. It's true. I just don't want to be bothered with it. It's an obvious one. Um, so let's see. Um, let's talk about why I feel Legolas and Tariel were necessary in the story. Uh, um, obviously, in the book, it's a children's book, number one. And the Wood Elves are pretty much just established in the book so that later on they can be brought back up again in the Battle of the Five Armies. That's it. That's their kind of their whole purpose. The thing of it is, is that if you don't create characters or reuse characters to give the elves a face, you know, something that you can identify with, then I don't think there's any interest in them, there's any interest in them in it from a cinematic point of view. I think you can get away with that in a book. You know, like people tell people to read the book, say, you know, Gandalf would just disappear in parts of the book, and you kind of get away with that, you know, in, in a narrative. But on screen, if a character just disappears, 
you need to know, you need to address that. And where did this character go? And that's why you have all of the stuff with Gandalf going to Dolgador and all this other stuff. Um, it's the same thing with the el- with, with with the Wood Elves. If you don't, I'm going to use the word human here. If you don't humanize the elves in some way, then when then when you need them, when you need people to buy into them, people won't because you haven't spent any time with them. The art of making a movie is, and I think this gets lost on reviewers at times, which is really funny to me because you know, like you're supposed to be a professional movie reviewer, yet some of these people don't seem to understand how film works. If the audience doesn't spend time with characters, then no, nothing you do to them will matter. You know, it's kind of like in a horror movie, which you are, you know, which you've been on this show many times talking about. You're just setting up fodder to get murdered, and then you're just like you're just watching porn. So for me, they didn't have to create a character from whole cloth. They just reused Legolas because oh, people already had an attachment to him. Well, Orlando um, Bloom needs something to do. He's not done anything in a couple of years. Um, the barrels down the, down the river in the book. I don't think. I think they just float down the river. Yeah, they created. Well, they float down without incident in the book, but we get a what? fun action sequence out in the book. It's just they hid in barrels and floated down the river. We get a fun action sequence out of it in the movies. Right, and and so how you know, and so how do you kind of up the turn up the volume on that? We'll throw we'll throw an elf in there who's also a ninja, uh, <laughs> shooting at shit. You know, again, I don't have a problem with Legolas being in these movies. I have a problem with you trying to convince me that he's. Uh, again, it's not so much that he's there. I don't mind that he's there. I'm with you as far as we need characters that represent the Wood Elves that we actually care about, because their king is kind of a dick, so we don't care. Right. But you, you, Legolas you is a good guy. So like if you don't have, if you don't have Legolas there to kind of sell you on the fact that not every Wood Elf is a bastard. By the time Thrandall gets there, you're like, fuck, kill him. <laughs> and, and then it gets confusing because you don't want Bard to die, and you don't want to root against the humans, but now they've teamed up with the evil elves. So, I, 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 no, I again, think, I don't have a problem with Legolas being there. I felt there was too much of Legolas. That's my complaint. Okay, here's where I agree with you. In the Battle of the Five Armies, they gave Legolas the sort of side quest where him and Tadiel go to Angmar, and I felt like it was it was a throwaway sequence. They get Very there, so. they they see Bog marching the army out, and then they run back. You know, there was no peril. There was nothing to it. It was, you know, it, he might as well stood there with a sign that said, "This is Bog and his army." Like <laughs> I would have liked to have seen them. <laughs> I would have liked to for him to have gone on a mission to try to stop the army and fail. You know, um, something along those lines. I, I, I that, that's that's the thing. Like maybe in, in, like another way they could have done it was that in between movies they sent Legolas to Angmar uh, to try to stop it, and he gets captured, and Tardiel goes after him. You know, so, like Tardiel gets word from her from the king that you know that he's been captured, and you know, while they're there, she needs to go get him. That sort of thing, and I, I think that would have would have sufficed, but instead, it was like, I don't think people got it, you know? I'm like, I'm watching this, and I'm like, well, here's a funny, funky-looking castle, and there's an army marching, and Legolas sort of tells, uses the moment as a, as a bit of exposition to talk about why his father's a dick, 
<laughs> yeah. That's kind of a fault for you. Yeah, again, if you're going to go through all that effort to have, you know, again, the side quest and they go up, you could have at least done something with it other than two lines of exposition. We went through all of this effort for two lines of exposition that could have been worked into a couple of other different places. Instead, we do all this effort and we don't get anything else out of it. Let me uh, let me address the often um, lamented, often criticized love story between uh, Keeley and Tadiel. And Stupid. I see, I liked it, but I think I liked it because there was a payoff. Um, even if it's kind of, even if it was sort of rushed and a bit hackneyed, when she's sitting there and she's, oh, excuse me, she had Taco Bell for dinner, and she's holding Keeley. And they had already addressed this earlier in the movie about, you know, how love feels. And she's, she's never experienced it before. She, you know, she's told she can't love the prince. And she's, she's, you know, she's sort of, you know, got to be this militarized chick. And she's got to keep her feelings about anything uh, bottled up. And they just come exploding out with this, with this dwarf. And then he's dead. You know, before anything can even begin, he's died. Uh, killed on the battlefield. And so she's holding him, and she looks up at Crandall, and she says, you know, why does it hurt so much? And I, and, I, and to me, that that qualified the entire storyline for me, the entire subplot. You know, that well, If you're going to have it, we had a decent resolution to it, and it was another moment for Thanderil not to be a dick. Right. Is kind of the thing. Because he, it's, you know, a moment of, again, elf, not human, but it's a moment of humanization for him. And we don't get that very often with him, and we get it there at the end, you know, when he sees Tariel and he provides a little bit of comfort for her. Yeah, very little, but again, elf king, and most elves are dicks. This has long been established as, like, <laughs> fact elves and fantasy. Are <laughs> Something like that. They all are. Um... But no, that's right. There's a bit of humanization there. There's a bit of tenderness. And I really, you know, again, movies are supposed to make you feel something. And maybe I'm a big sap, but when Toriel says, uh, you know, why does it hurt so much? I felt bad for her. You know, I, you know she, she, whatever, call it what you will, you know, you, a, a wasted subplot, whatever. But in, this character lost love, and it hurts. And it, it, and it was well portrayed on screen. So, I forgive the entire subplot for that reason. I still think it was stupid. Its existence to me... Hang on. Its existence to me was superfluous and stupid. It was handled very well. And, okay. Which, which is as, about as much as I could have hoped to have personally gotten out of it. Again, I don't feel any of it with her and him was necessary or her in general apart from, you know, feminazis type thing. But if you're going to do it, it was done well. And so, again, my criticism is more subjective to my personal taste and feel about how the overall thing should have been presented as opposed to how it was done. Because, it was ha- again, it was executed and handled about as good as it could have been. So my complaints are minimal. Let's talk a little bit about the opening of the movie with the attack on Lake Town. Um, oh, okay. Not enough smog In this whole movie, not enough smog. <laughs> Because Smaug is awesome. Well, well, I'll tell you, my favorite part of of um, the, 
second one, the Desolation of Smaug, is that interaction between him and Bilbo. Again, so well acted by Martin Freeman. You know, who are you? I am he who walks unseen. You know, and how he delivers all of those things. And, and Benedict Cumberbatch just gets them. It, it was like, it was perfect tennis. He would just bat the well, ball right back at that shocking to you know? anyone that Martin Freeman and Benedict Cumberbatch have great repartee. Yeah, <laughs> Barrel Rider. Oh, that's interesting. You know, <laughs> lovely titles. I, I do that now. Tell like, me uh, more. Having lovely titles. <laughs> um, I, uh, but I, the end of that movie, as, as much as everyone sort of makes fun of, as, as, uh, you know, as it's been called, the, uh, the most elaborate dragon trap ever, um, as silly as that whole sequence is, and it really is retarded, the, the acting on Benedict Cumberbatch part towards the end there, where, uh, you know, he mocks Thor and he's like, revenge, I will show you revenge. Yeah. And, he, you know, and he springs out of there, out of Erebor and he shakes the gold off of him. And he says, I am fire. I am death. And flashback to Bilbo, what have we done? And it's perfect. And then you get, <laughs> and then you get to this movie. And you want see this is where you want more mustache twirling. You know, it's his last hurrah before he's about to get taken down. And it was almost like it was. I don't know how you felt about it, but I felt like there wasn't enough smog. It was there could a, always have been watched, more smog. There wasn't. There, he didn't say enough. He didn't, I mean, he was setting the place on fire, but I really wanted him to be, I wanted him to show true malice. You know, like, maybe it would have been too much, but I actually wanted, like, there to be scenes where he would just land and corner a bunch of uh, of Lake Town women and just blow them up. You know, God, you know, how dare you? You know, that sort of thing. You know, no, I, I would have been to, fine with that. I mean, the only he gets a few lines of dialogue directed at Bard as Bard is lining up his shot with the Black Arrow, uh, which is which I enjoyed. I liked how they did that uh, in this particular movie. Instead of him using the traditional bow, he sets it on his son's shoulder because he needs it's a large arrow. He needs extra oomph to come out of it. Uh, Smaug kind of walking forward is perfect and menacing. I thought from the perspective of the people of Lake Town, the dragon attack was well done. You know, there's plenty of people dying, plenty of things lighting on fire. Smaug is plenty menacing in an abstract sense. But I'm with you in that they could have drugged that out a little bit more and had him interact a little bit more with all the people there that he's, again, murdering violently with fire. Yeah, the, like, this is your last hurrah with this with this horrible creature. And they're just, it, it, there, there wasn't enough. I needed, I needed more Smaug. Um, but the, but his, but you're right. But once he gets to taunting Bard, you know, and he's, he's about awesome to, again. He, he's like, Look, I'm going to Smaug as the fire, be- Smaug as the flying, fire-breathing, silent menace figure of death is not as good. Smaug, no. when he's talking, is all kinds of awesome. Yeah, he uh, in, in wrestling parlance, he needs he he needs to call his own match. Yeah, pretty much. Uh, but his death was fine. I got to be honest, though. I really wish 
Smaug had landed on the other guy instead of Stephen Fry. Okay, so l- let's talk about that for a second. Um, so Speaking of useless of, characters. Well, I want to, yeah, we talked about this before, so now is as good as any time to address it. Because there's two things dealing with the men of Lake Town that I, that I, that I have to complain about. One, when, they, when, when, they, when he shoots Smaug and Smaug falls out of the sky and he lands on the master of the lake, you know, as he's trying to get away with all the gold, okay, great, evil's punished. I, I want to throw this at you before I start wildly complaining about Alfred. With all they did with Alfred, by the way, you know, if you look at the map of Middle-earth, which I did last night because I'm a nerd, and I'm trying to figure out where all these places are and how you know, the past, you know, Bilbo's path versus Frodo's path and all of that and why they went this way and that way um, and that sort of thing. I was looking at, I was looking at where um, Erebor is in relationship to the rest of the world. Where the fuck is Alfred going at the end of the movie? I'm skipping around here because I want to come back to something. But at the very end, he's dressed up like a woman. He's got a bra full of, or corset. He's got a corset full of gold. Except that he's in Dale, and Dale is surrounded by a lake, and on the up, and on the opposite side of that lake is the backyard of the woodland realm. Where the fuck was he going with the gold? I don't know. I that was one of the things that kind of bothered me, like when uh, well, Bard is petitioning Thorin for his promised payment to help rebuild the lives of all the people who were. This is, you know, displaced by the dragon. I remember thinking, you know, he could have given you all the gold in that freaking mountain, and you still would have frozen to death in winter. It's of no value <laughs> to you right now. You're in the middle of nowhere. You can have all the gold so, you want. You're still gonna die. I think what was implied was that, that what they would use whatever resources were in Erebor to to, to help people, including let them into the damn mountain. But well, I, again, I wanna, which would have wanna... been my request were I bar. Like, you know, okay, you know, we'll forego some of our claim on the treasure if you just take us into this giant mountain. We'll work, but we need a place to ride out the winter here. I want to propose this to you, because I think you and I both agree Alfred was a completely useless character. Oy. I mean, in some of the reviews I read, he, you know, he's supposed to be like comic relief, except that he's, it's one joke repeated ten times and nine times too many. Um, you, now, if they were going to do the bit where at the end he just, you know, he makes no character change whatsoever. He has no journey. He just, at the end of it, he sort of, the message to the audience is, even in our, even in our most greatest peril, when all men come together and put aside petty grievances, some of us are just bags of shit. And, yeah. and we'll never change. Okay, message received. Why, didn't, why then, when they wrote this, did they just not make him Grimer Wormtongue? Make him a young Grimer Wormtongue working in Lake Town, and if they're going to have him run off into the wilderness, with a, with, you know, with, you know, then have him then be Grimer Wormtongue and just say, I will go to Rohan. You know, I want no part of you, Bard. I want no part of this waste of humanity. I will go to Rohan, and I will pledge myself to Theoden. And that sets up the fucking two towers. Well, believe it or not, I think the biggest problem with that and some of the other problems I have with a few things here is the chronology of it, which for some, it gets conveniently ignored at certain points, and I'll get to in a second or two. But my issue with that is if you want the guy to be nothing but pointless comic relief... You should have killed Alfred and let Stephen Fry stick around, because Stephen Fry is awesome. 
I mean, you could have done the exact same thing in the beginning where the master climbs out of the water, you know, begging and screaming for his life, and the people revolt against him because of all the crap he's put them through, and Bard saves him. Same reasoning. Again, imagine everything, but you now have the, not just, you know, you don't just have the writing there. You have Stephen Fry, who is one of the great comedic actors there is right now. I mean, Stephen, because again, I think Stephen Fry is awesome. And you could have done, I just imagine his presence would have added a lot more interesting stuff to what was going on there instead of this useless, slimy bag of shit. Who I kept wondering, why doesn't Bard just kill him? I mean, you save him from the mob and you make your big speech about pulling together and humanity and have you not seen enough of death, and that's all valid. When, for the third time, when he tries to sell out the rest of humanity and run away with the gold, at that point, I'm just like, all right, enough. I have not yet seen enough death. I'm going to kill you, and then we're going to be done with it. Well, again, I would have accepted one of two things. And I, and I like your idea of at least keeping uh, Stephen, you know, the master of Lake Town alive. But let me, let, me, let me sort of unravel this for you. They should have dropped the dragon on him. They should have had him stay in the boat with the Master of Lake Town, drop the dragon on him, and be done with it. In the that book, would work just they, fine. <laughs> in the book, they, they actually coronate Bard as king, and I really feel like the movie was missing uh, something by not doing that. I mean, you know, even, they could have still done the reluctant leader thing, but at the very end of the movie, when, you know, after they've driven off the orcs and he has, you know, proved himself a capable general, he should have... The movie should have left you with the, the knowledge that he has become King Bard. He has, you know, he has um, sort of regretfully uh, taken the mantle of leadership uh, of, of Dale. But whatever. I'll, I'll, <sighs> a great way they could have played that is exactly as you said. Drop, drop the dragon on Alfred, keep Stephen Fry alive, and let that be sort of, an, you know, sort of a conflict in the movie is that the people want Bard, but he's like, no, I'm the master of Lake Town, damn it. And just because there's no Lake Town doesn't mean I'm not the master. You know, and let them argue. I think that would have been a more interesting conflict than basically, you know, Grimer Worm Tongue the First <laughs> running around being a, being a bag of shit. No, I, yeah, again, I completely agree there. I need to say this. I don't miss that they didn't officially, you know, crown him king or what have you. I know they do that in the book, and I think it takes up two chapters with him describing, you know, the celebrations and the feast and what have you, because that's the way Tolkien writes. I was absolutely terrified we would get – now, they put, again, we get Bard as kind of the reluctant leader here, and when I saw they were going that direction, I was terrified we were going to get too much of it. Thankfully, we didn't. It's there, it's part of his character, but it's not – overbearing. It doesn't beat you over the head with it. I, for anyone who's seen the movie by this point, or is listening to this after they've seen it, I was terrified that we would got we, we would have gotten another 10 to 15 minutes of him being reluctant leader, as opposed to what we actually got. What we actually got was fine. That's, how, that's of kind leaders, of how I want those things to go. <laughs> Speaking of leaders, I, I want to get this out there before we run out of time, and we have um, about... 16, 17 minutes left before we uh, we go into recorded time, and I, and, uh, I don't want the review to take too long. Um, you're left at the end of the movie not knowing who, who 
is king of the mount, a king under the mountain. Because Thorin's dead, Feely's dead, Keely's dead, and there there's no successor to the crown. The line of Durin is broken. And if you read like the Wikipedia entries like I did, or if you've read the appendices of the Tolkien novels, you know that Dane Ironfoot, played by Billy Coll- uh, Billy Connolly, uh, is actually the, the the ends up being the successor to the throne. We got none of that in this movie, and I felt like of all the time spent on this, that, and the other thing, really five minutes to tell you that that that, that Dane, uh, the Dane of the of the Iron Hills, wasn't made king. I mean, you know, you, you and I talked right before the podcast started. Uh, as Bilbo saying goodbye, they couldn't have had Balin mention it. <laughs> the very least. I understand it's we didn't a line. want to do another... It's, it's a sentence of dialogue that they could have thrown in there. No, look, I don't want another Return of the King where we spend, you know, five minutes with Aragorn being crowned king of... Uh, Gondor, and then that whole thing. I don't want, you know, we don't need the long goodbye again here. Okay, we really don't. Right, we don't you, can answer, you can answer questions that are left. I mean, again, for those of you who've seen the movie, uh, Frodo's walking out of Erebor with Balin by his side. He's leaving. He's, he's all packed. He's ready to go. And Balin says, you know, there's going to be feasting and so- songs and celebration, and this is both, this serves both as Thorin's funeral and celebrating their victory in the battle. And you couldn't have had another sentence of, and you know, uh, you know, the new king or we'll be crowning him in a few weeks type thing. You couldn't have just, again, a line. Right. They could have had Bilbo simply asked. So what are you going to do what, now? The line of Durin's ended. Who's going to rule here? And Balin's right. like, well, actually, you know... Uh, Dane Ironfoot is still technically of the line of Durin, thrice removed on his mother's side, so he's perfectly acceptable as king, and you saw what he could do on the battlefield. We'll be fine. Right. You don't even have to go into that. Dane will be coronated king. We will be fine. Oh, no. They would have used, like, my line just because, you know, dwarven lineage and Balin. The guy who played Balin was awesome, by the way. (laughs) Just as a brief aside, kind of the old dwarf. I have some issues with Balin, but that's for another podcast. Um... My my favorite one is whatever the fat one's name is. Uh, Bomber, I think, is that one. Bomber, yeah, I, I thought Bomber was 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 definitely one of my favorites in there. Like this, you know, him. We don't. I don't want to spend too long on this, but the sequence, as as much as it's been panned by critics, the sequence of him bouncing in the barrel and then bursting That's out with awesome. two axes and spinning around. It's a fucking. It's just awesome to look. It's an awesome spectacle. It um, is. Case, oh, God. Come on, have some yeah. fun with the so, movies, people. <laughs> so, you know, the dueling the, the 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 dueling boss fights between Thorin and Azog and then um Legolas and and Balrog or whatever that Bog. Um I, I it was fine. I don't I don't really have anything to add about those cuz they were they were just long extended fight scenes. Um Too not much time the wasted on Legolas. Too much time with him and that great. other dude. Wait, no, no, no. Not that it's there. Too much time with Legolas and that other dude. Too much. Well, that's the thing is, is they, you know, people were wondering who the Fifth Army was, and it was the Eagles. Which, okay, let me address this now. 
because I'm tired of everyone saying this. This isn't like in Cinema Sins. It's in the it's in the Honest trailers. People are still saying it, including God bless you guys, the guys from Screaming Boy Podcast. The reason the fucking Eagles don't just take people to Mordor like a cab service or take the dwarves to the Lonely Mountain is because there are men, orcs, elves, and anyone else eating, no, not elves, but men and orcs and dwarves who would shoot them out of the sky so they could barbecue them. That's why. The eagles don't want to be shot down trying to transverse all of Middle-earth. They're not a cab service. They've been, you know, they, 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 they got Gandalf out of a fix, and they got the dwarves out of a fix, and they rescued Bilbo after he saved all of Middle-earth. Frodo. Jesus Christ, people. <laughs> like, one more question about why the eagles just don't solve all their problems. But anyway... Um, and I don't suppose it yeah, ever occurred to anybody that the Eagles, that they asked and the Eagles told them, you know, piss off. Yeah, well, you know, very the, the Eagles and Bayorn and that whole fifth army of, you know, woodland creatures that show up, they show up because Radagast <laughs> asked them to. Right. Now, nobody, again, Gandalf on occasion is able to maybe convince them to show up and help him out of a jam for a few minutes. They're not actually risking their necks anytime they don't have to. And Radagast okay, so, Brown, who, you know, has his ability to commune with all of nature, requests that they show up and help here, and they do. But they're not, right. again, they're not a catch-all. The thing is, is, is that they'll get shot out of the sky, so they, they don't want to expose themselves too much. But the other thing of it is, is, you know, when the Eagles show up in uh, the Battle of Pelennor Field, did the Eagles show up? No. When no, the, uh, the final charge on Mordor. They show up to stop the Ringwraiths from being airborne. And even then, some of okay. them die. Um, I'm trying to think of another situation where the Eagles showed up and, and killed a bunch of people. There, there's, uh, well, I don't. don't know. If it's, no, I don't know if it's Helm's Deep or something else. But there's something where, like, the eagles just start murdering. It might be the end of um, an unexpected journey where they're, where they're attacking the wargs. But, uh, yeah, they show up and help them out uh, away from, the, from Azog and that pack of orcs, but... Okay, in any case, um, I would have liked to have seen, you know, the dwarves sort of on their last legs and, you know, and the men. You know, they, they had that one flash with the women going, let's die by the side of our men, let's fight by their side you know, not cower here like a bunch of women. I would have liked to have seen that. I would have liked to have seen the women fighting with the men and everyone just sort of feeling, you know, like we we can't do this. There's too many orcs. And that's when Radagast and the Eagles and, you know, I wanted to see, I wanted to see a good two or three minutes of Bayorn just tearing into orcs. Yeah, look, this is one of my big gripes with this movie. They spent... it seems like the eagles show up, and completely away from everything else, Thorin finally kills Azog. Somehow, this knowledge is transmitted to the rest of the thousands and thousands and thousands of orcs who just decide, all right, that's it. There's giant birds. We could shoot them, but no, 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 our leader's dead. How do you know he's dead? We haven't seen him. We haven't heard from him. He could be doing other stuff. No, no, no. This long, he's dead. We're packing it in. Yeah, they, they all suffer from Emperor's Disease from, from Return of the Jedi. Like, what? The Emperor's Dead? We have minds of our own? <laughs> We're getting the fuck out of here. We've still got a giant armada. All this manpower, all this firepower. The Empire's not doomed. 
No, no, they got the Death Star and the Emperor. No, we're we're hosed here, everybody. Let's just disband this giant machine of war and conquest. Now, yeah, again, becomes Gen- everyone becomes Denethor. Yeah, <laughs> it just. It's a gripe that I... That was kind of my big gripe, was Thorin, mortally wounded, stands at the precipice of that frozen lake and sees them and sees uh, the orcs and everyone retreating, and I kind of went, wait, what caused this? What, you know, what, what turn of events happened on the actual battlefield that caused the orcs to go, nope, we're done? Yeah, there was... Something there was happened. Too much focus, there was too much focus on the boss battles and not enough on the battle battle. I wanted to see the Eagles turn the tide. I wanted to see Bayorn turn. I wanted to see Radagast, you know, do his thing. I mean, as far as I'm concerned, Radagast's purpose in all of this and his only ability was to speak in tongues and, you know, and, and, you know, save sickly animals. You know, at least you got to see Saruman fight the, uh, fight the Nazgul. I don't care how old Christopher Lee is, that man can still be a badass when he wants to be. Um, okay, so a couple more gripes about things they could have things they did versus what they could have done. That whole sequence in Dalgador where Galadriel saves uh Mithrandiel <laughs> Gandalf, um, from, from the cage and uh, essentially from from Sauron it was way rushed. And if you don't know anything else about the story, you have no. You think Sauron's dead. You, you're. It's never really explicitly explained that he's driven back to Mordor. It's never explained that the Nazgul were driven back to Mordor. You would think after uh, Elrond and Saruman were done with that group that they were just dead, that they were gone. They just because they just disappear and nothing is said about it. I mean, Saruman I think says, "Leave Sauron to me." But they, it's like a throwaway that, line. I believe it's a throwaway line that he'll take hold in the East. And it, it's yeah, really I, sad because, again, a little bit more exposition here could have just fleshed out the whole thing. Not hours and hours, but, you know, a few more lines, a couple of sentences would have been fine and dandy. Yeah, I, I would have liked to have seen... It, look, they, they they lost an opportunity for a great visual, which is the necromancer, you know, Sauron, you, being that black cloud of smoke just flying through Mordor, and you could have kind of done a tracking shot and then seeing him rise to his tower and be that eye. Yeah, they absolutely could have done that. You know, I think something you mentioned off-air to me about maybe a little bit of Sauron tracking him down and slowly becoming corrupted by his influence. Yeah, I would have liked, you know, you know, Lee, I would have liked a break from the battle of uh, the five armies to, you know, where did Saruman go, you know, and and have him be with the Palantir and, you know, and and let him start to be just a flash of, you know, a face, a, you know, a reaction, a flash of a flash of corruption, uh, something that 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 tells us that somewhere between him heroically saving Gandalf and the um, and the Fellowship of the Ring, he's he's given up the ship. He he he's going to join with Saruman, uh, with Sauron rather. But I mean, like I said, the Nazgul, like this, you know, the Nazgul were summarily defeated, and and then what? 
you know, they they're going to show up again. You know, they're going to they're going to don cloaks and they're going to put on armor and they're going to chase after the rain. Yeah, again, like, a bit of dialogue, dialogue, a bit of dialogue from like Elrond saying, "Well, we've temp." He could just easily say, "Well, we've." temporarily banished their aspects, but they're not defeated yet. They broke out of their magical tombs. They'll come back. Him well, kind of setting up what Saruman sets out to do by further trying to crush Sauron while he's still weak would have gone a long way to kind of just setting up everything else. I mean, what, they should have had Gandalf basically saying, you know, someone saying, like, you know, the Nazgul... Are, are defeated for now, but as long as the ring, as long as the one ring exists, so will, so too will the Nazgul. And be that would have worked as well. All right, uh, we're down to three minutes of live time. I know we want to end this pretty much on time. I need to get my final kind of gripe out of the way here, and then I'm going to be done, and we'll give final thoughts. Uh, the chronology here. There's something specifically here. Now, correct me if I'm wrong, but. Uh, we open this, not just this movie, but Unexpected Journey opens, we get the flashback to young Bilbo, and the caption reads, 60 years earlier. R- rather firmly establishing that this event takes place 60 to 59, because they were gone for like 13 months. Let's call it 60 years prior to Bilbo's 111th birthday party that sets up Fellowship of the Ring. Okay, this is all very clear. So here's my question to you, Mark. How freaking old is Aragorn by the time they actually destroy the ring? Well, I think he he says it in the Two Towers. He's like 70. He's doing somewhere between 70 and 77. Really? Cuz I forgot yeah. I, I was not aware of that. Because he No, he, uh, he, uh, he, he Here, I'll, I'll tell you what it really really quickly. All right. During March to Helm's Deep when he's talking to the one broad that's got a crush on him, whose name I yeah. do not recall. Um, he explains to her that he is one of the Dunedain, the, the do your dance quick, come on, baby, tell me what's the word. And, um, and and she's like, wait, you fought with my, you fought with my father, and uh, what, fuck? That must mean you're 70 some odd years old. And that's, oh, no, he does, okay, first he was like, I fought with your father, I was like, but that was so long ago, that would make you 70. And he's like, you must, oh, you're one of the Dunedain. Or Dunedain, or whatever the hell they're called. But is, by the way, that much, hang on, does that come from the extended cut version? Because I haven't seen the extended Two Towers. If, I've only seen the theatrical. I don't know. I, I that's the, that's the version I watched recently was the extended version, but I don't recall that that being a cut scene because I remember that I remember seeing that in the movies too. But I may also be misremembering because I saw the I, extended edition of the Two Towers in the movie theater. Yeah, I just seem to recall that the theatrical cut of that, the only thing they talk about is uh, uh, the jewel that he wears and him actually being in love with an elf. Yeah, there, there's a whole conversation that takes place where he explains that he's one of the Dunedain and that he's in his 70s. Okay. Then I will, um, I either missed it or, again, some, or, or I have not seen the version that explains it properly because I was, again, I was under the impression he was about as old as he looked, which was 30s. So, okay, I will cease my complaints about the chronology as far as that one goes, then. Oh, well, here, we'll, we'll make it up with this. Apparently, point. he's 87. Um, then we'll, uh, we will, uh, I will, I will tell you what the, what the, what the complaint you should have had was. 
We are okay. We're heading back to the woodland realm. I'm not going back. Okay, go to the go to the north. Find the Dunedain. There you'll find Strider. By the way, that's not his real name. You'll figure that out for yourself. What? <laughs> I'll tell you its father's real name. <laughs> like, wait, wait a minute. You, you... <laughs> okay, I get his dad's real name, but I get the you know the 13, 14 year old kid. I, I get his uh, crappy nickname. What's going on? Yeah. I I. I... That whole like seek out seek out Strider, and it was like and and then it was kind of like uh, we just left him hanging there because I'm waiting for him to like if you're gonna send Legolas off on a mission because he he, he refuses to return home because he's lost the love of his life which is you know Tadiel, then okay fine, but then tell me why he must go seek out the Dunedain, what is their purpose, what 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 is his mission. You know, like, because I can only imagine how that meaning goes. Like, oh, I'm Legolas of the Woodland Realm. I am Strider, you know, Ranger of the North. Good for you. What's your name? (laughs) (laughs) And now we saw my my crazy old man sent me out here. (laughs) That's what it was. They're both the they're both the rough equivalent of teenagers, so they bonded over their mutual disdain of their crazy old fathers. Yeah, I don't. I don't understand it. <laughs> that whole, that whole, I mean, that, it was that, of all the connections to the trilogy that people complained about, that one was so forced, you know. And yeah, it, was so, it like, didn't bother so me happy. as much. It, it actually didn't bother me as much as it seems to have bothered you. Uh, I, I mean, I just, I just, you've got Thanduril who's having the break with his son. His son's, you know, got issues with how his father's ruling and some of those other things, and He's got to go off to find himself, so his father points him in a direction that he thinks might benefit everyone eventually. Doesn't bother yeah, me as much. Well, I agree that I agree that it's kind of shoehorned in. I mean, the whole scene, so the scene like is the kind of shoehorned, but it doesn't bother me that much. It was like the lines in the second movie where they're looking at the where they're looking at the um, the picture in the necklace and like, who is that? That's my wife. And who is this mutant child? Mutant thing? Some kind of goblin mutant. Well, it is Gimli's father saying it. it I don't know. It, it, it's a little thing. That, that one didn't bother me either. I don't know. It, that one by itself didn't bother me, but the collection of uh, of forced references to the trilogy drove me up the wall by the end of it. Um, I was like, oh, just, just if it doesn't come naturally, please just stop. Don't stop forcing it. Um, but those, those those are my, you know, like whenever we do these movie reviews, it's always like, well, you know, I wish they had done this and, and that rather than just kind of complain about stuff. Um, a little, I think overall they spent way too much time on the boss battles, not enough time on the actual battle itself. And, you know, there were all these different things where they don't really tie up any, any of the loose ends. They just sort of leave them hanging there. And I think that's the ultimate I don't know if failure is the right word, but that is the ultimate problem with this movie was there was an opportunity, you know, because everyone was complaining like they shouldn't have stretched it out into three movies. I disagree. I think I think it worked well as a trilogy. I liked the story and they were I telling. think they could have done it in two. You just, it just would have been, two movies would have been, just been a lot more streamlined. Well, as I said, I, the, the one criticism that I've seen consistently throughout a lot of reviews that I do agree with is that Peter Jackson, I think, spent too much time on frivolous things and not enough time on the things that mattered in the story. Uh, some of the stuff that we talked about, I think, would have made a little bit more sense to spend some time on instead of, you know, you know, it would seem like hours spent on meaningless shit. 
Yeah, I would agree with that. I mean, just overall, I just uh, since we're going to go ahead and do our final thoughts here and wrap up, because I know you, you know, want to end kind of on time. And apparently I've got something to do in a couple of minutes here. Uh, so overall, again, to kind of restate, a uh, big fan of this. Uh, I enjoyed this movie a lot. Uh, I'm not sure if it... Because uh, I, I think the first one is still my favorite of the Hobbit trilogy, but I very much enjoyed this one overall. I mean, again, all, all the griping about the small things and whatnot aside, on the whole, it's a very good movie. It's a great way to kind of wrap up the you know uh, all of the cinematic entries into Middle Earth. Yep, I thought, as I said at the top of the show, I thought it was a love letter to to everybody, and a and a great way to go out. I actually, um, I thought it was a good way to cap off six movies. Um, again, I'm good now with this series. I don't need to sing anymore. Yeah, I'm with you there. Uh, we can be done. No, no, we don't need any more, uh, you know, Middle Earth movies. And again, as mentioned previously, the Tolkien estate won't sell the rights anyway. So at the moment, no, until... Is, I was going to say, if Peter Jackson really wants to make more sword and sandal movies, more fantasy movies, seek out who, seek out the studio who has the rights to the Dragonlands books. And make those. There's plenty of them. He never has to leave that world. Eh, I, I'm just not a big fan of those books, but okay. Oh, uh, give me give me a movie. Give me a movie just about the cataclysm, and I'll be happy. All right. Okay. So, anything you want to plug, Mark? Uh, tomorrow night at nine o'clock, Jesse Starcher, who joined me on our holiday edition of. Um, sorry, I just got a message from Gavin. Um, tomorrow night, uh, he joined me on the Metal Hammer of Doom last week with a brief uh, shout-out to Jason Teasley as we did our holiday special uh, doing a retrospective of Weird Al Yankovic. It was a great show. We did almost three hours. Um, I, just was, I just listened to it back. It was a lot of fun. Uh, he'll be back again tomorrow night as we do our Christmas edition of The Long Road to Ruin. We'll be looking at Gremlins 1 and 2. Uh, and maybe a little, you know, we'll play some Christmas carols while we're there. Who knows? Um, and then that's it. Uh, our schedule for the um, for the 2015 has been ironed out. I can tell you uh, in January is Star Trek and Lethal Weapon. Not sure which one's going to be first, but we're going to – I'm not going to go into the specifics, but I can tell you as far as dates, but I can tell you that we've got franchises now planned from January to May, and a couple of ones that we're looking at doing um, so said Star Trek, uh, two, you know, two, three, and four. Uh, we're looking at Lethal Weapon. We're looking to do Blade, Dark Man. Uh, we're looking to do the Highlander movie series, uh, Fantastic Four. We're gonna finish up Rocky. Uh, the Tom, the, the the Jack Ryan, Tom Clancy movies, all five of them. Uh, we're looking to do. Uh, and then when Age of Ultron comes out, um, we'll do uh, we'll do Iron Man. So that's that. That's the rough schedule for uh, I know, and we're going to throw the Fantastic Four in there too. So that's that's our that's our uh, two, 2015 schedule between January and May, roughly. And uh, you know, those of you who uh, are just waiting for Sean to come back, he comes back the first week of February, where we'll be doing the Fantastic Four. And you have to talk about how the fact that Roger Corman's unreleased, like, 1986 version is still the best film adaptation of the Fantastic Four out there, apart from Pixar's The Incredibles. Uh, no doubt. No doubt. 
All right, that's it. That's all I got. I mean, um, you know, as far as the other shows, listen to the check out the Rattle and Broadcasting Network, R A D U L I C H. Every day of the week is a new show uh, with a different host, and they're all great. You should listen to them all, including Rob's shows. Uh, I only have one show at the moment. I've got uh, Everyone Loves a Bad Guy on temporary hiatus for the holidays and a couple of other reasons, but. Every Sunday at 8 p.m. Eastern, I host the 411 Ground and Pound Radio Show, which looks into the wide, wacky, wonderful world of mixed martial arts. Uh, Jeff Harris is normally there with me. Our last episode, we previewed this coming Friday or Saturday's Fight Night card, Machida versus Dalloway, uh, which I will be covering live at 411mania.com this coming Saturday. So stop by, say hello. I might need it to get through some of these fights. Uh, we got a good, cu- good couple of top fights, but... Uh, the rest of the card is uh, suspect. All right, uh, that's going to go ahead and wrap us up. We will be back officially kind of reviewing movies once the summer blockbuster season for 2015 gets rolling, whenever we deem that to be an appropriate time to start doing this. Uh, maybe if something really awesome comes out between now and then, we'll do one-ofs kind of like this. But to everyone else, thank you all so very much for being here. I, Mark and I are both going to encourage you to go see the third and final Hobbit movie, and formulate your own opinions in addition to agreeing with our own, because uh, we're, we're clearly correct about all of these things that we discuss. That's the, the benefit of being us. <laughs> all right, until then, I'll use Mark's sign-off phrase, uh, be well, be safe, and behave. Sorrow.